with the, uh, with the position. I appreciate that very much. It's nice to, <laughs> this is a little side note, it's nice to serve together, to serve one another. So Bob's one of our elders and appreciate how he looks out for me and for Pastor Dave. We've got a in case it hasn't been said, I'll say it again. We have a great elder board that really uh, loves the congregation, loves the ministries of our church, really desiring to do God's very best by the church. I'm very thankful for them. And uh, I, I, just, I know it isn't always acknowledged or recognized by us. We don't always get to see what they're doing, but God has blessed us with a fabulous elder board. And that was just evidence of that. They, they certainly... Well, as we, uh, you probably noticed, I'm not Pastor Dave, so that's okay. Uh, he is away on vacation, and this is, yeah, I'm a lot younger, more handsome. Uh, that wasn't on video, was it? <laughs> no. I just want to encourage us that, uh, that we would continue to keep Pastor Dave and, and his wife, Barb, in, in our prayers as they have this time away on vacation, that God would bless them and watch over them and care for them and just really uh, pour into their hearts and their minds as they have this time of rest away. He has been a great blessing to me in my life, and uh, I'm thankful for him, and I just pray God would bless him uh, as he has his time with his wife. So, uh, again, it is, it's a joy. And I know he loves me, too, by the way, because he uh, signed a, a passage such as Daniel 7 on a day that he'd be away, and I get to spend time with all of us together walking through a very interesting and at times confusing passage. But bear with me. We're going to have some fun with it today, I believe. So uh, the question I want to ask us to start off our time together is, I just wonder, have you ever had one of those dreams that when you wake up, you, you still feel the tears coming down your cheek, or you feel the anxiety, you know, I'm just going to lean over and give my loved one a little extra snuggle, or, or maybe you, you run to the other room to check on the kids and make sure they're doing okay in their beds, or, or maybe you grab your phone and you think, you know what, let me just quickly call this person and, and make sure that they're okay. You know, one of those dreams that feels so real, so real that it actually impacts kind of the start of your day. You, you wake up and you're already feeling the tension of, was that a real dream or, or was my imagining things? Or maybe you have a, a really wonderful memory uh, from either growing up or a time with your family, and, and for whatever reason, this is a memory that you turn to when maybe you're feeling a little bit anxious about something, or, or, or you're feeling uptight, or you're concerned about something, and just thinking on this memory helps settle you, helps calm you down. I remember growing up, I, uh, I, I, didn't, I never wanted to be the last person awake in the house, and, and every now and then, I had trouble falling asleep. And so as, as the time went by and I thought, man, I'm still awake, hopefully other people are awake, I would get more and more anxious thinking, oh, you know, my brother's asleep or my sister's asleep or hopefully my parents haven't fallen asleep yet. So I would actually, it would get worse. I would actually get more anxious as the night went on and thinking that I'm going to be the last person awake. My brother, I, I was sharing a room with him at the time, and he said to me, he goes, Dan, just think of something, a happy memory. Think of one of your favorite memories you have from growing up and just focus on that and, and just and, and see what happens then. Well, I'm not going to admit it too frequently, but my older brother can be a wise man from time to time. And, and this was a good idea because I remember thinking and reflecting on our family trip to Disney World. And I can remember picturing walking into Epcot World and seeing the big globe in front of me. And I just remember, well, actually, I don't remember much beyond that because I fell asleep. And, uh, and that's, a, you know, that's, that's the, the, the type of memory that we turn to that actually impacts how we're living our lives. The, the, the trust we have in God, the, the sense of peace and calm to know that everything's going to be okay. You know, we're going to take a chance or get a chance to consider this idea today. Not necessarily how dreams and pictures impact our way of thinking, but, but, but just how powerful they can be. Specifically, we're going to get a chance to look at a dream that Daniel had. Tomorrow, 
our country will experience a solar eclipse together, which, by the way, um, from what I understand, we're not going to be in the path of totality. I'll explain that in a minute. But we'll all get a chance to see that somewhere between 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. So if you have a chance, uh, certainly take advantage of that opportunity to catch the, the solar eclipse tomorrow. But um, I, I was kind of doing a little bit of research. I'm thinking, well, you know, this is going to be a cool opportunity for us as a family. It doesn't happen frequently where we're anywhere near the path of totality. Again, I'll explain that in a minute. But I, I wanted to do a little research to see how we could as a family experience it. And so I was reading an article about it, and they were interviewing some people who have made it their life mission to be in a place where a total solar eclipse occurs. And so they were interviewing one of these people, and, and the, the total solar eclipse is that spot where there's like about a 70-mile-wide path where when the sun or when the moon perfectly passes in front of the moon, it, it goes dark, like it's nighttime in the middle of the day. Birds start chirping. They think it's nighttime. It, 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 it's, like, it's like dusk. You know, it's, it's great. Um, and so one of these people that they were interviewing actually explained the first time that they saw a solar eclipse. She said this. Listen to what she said. She said, everyone sensed something was coming. The world held its breath. It was eerie and quite frightening and so dramatic. And then suddenly, you're plunged into darkness. And that's when I thought, I'm an eclipse chaser. That's also when I discovered a map that had paths of totality for all future eclipses. I saw the map and I thought, this is the structure of my life for the next 20 years. This is where I'm going to be. See, the, that, that experience she had in that moment was so powerful, so, so impactful, that she knew what she was going to be doing for the next 20 years of her life. And sometimes uh, it's true for us. We, we have these dreams. We have these memories that certainly have an impact on our lives. But today we're going to get a chance to take a look at a dream that Daniel had that had such a profound impact on him that it changed forever how he would live the years ahead of him. It was similar to the, the songs, I appreciate the songs we sang in worship this morning, that idea of a lighthouse, that, that, that the light in our world that when, when we're in the ocean, right, when the waves are crashing over the sides of our ship, we see that light and we know that everything's going to be okay. We, we have that point of reference for the shore. We have that point of reference for where, where the storm is not overwhelming, where, the, where there is calm. And so today we're going to get a chance to talk about a dream that was given to Daniel that, that empowered him in living faithfully while in exile. We're going to talk about how this picture he had of the future, future gave him hope and strength to live faithfully in the present. So if you would, I'm going to encourage us to turn to Daniel chapter 7. I believe it's on page uh, 744 in your pew Bible, but we'll have it up on the screen as well. And I want to read for us just two verses in this whole chapter. Now, there's a lot going on in chapter 7. And, and we're, going to, we're going to do our best to kind of get introduced to it, if you will. But I want to encourage you to take what we're talking about today as a starting point. And, and, and let God encourage you to continue to study it, to look at it deeper. We'll get a, a chance just to glimpse at it. There's so much more than what we can cover in one Sunday morning. In Daniel chapter 7, <clears throat> we're going to read verses 13 and 14. Let me, let me go ahead and read them for us. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. I wonder if you'll let me take a moment to pray and thank God for his word. Let's pray together. 
Lord, we do thank you that, uh, that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. And that, that the scriptures are not just some textbook or words on a page. Lord, they're living and active. That these words are sharper than any two-edged sword. That they, they, can, uh, they can cut away the pieces of our life that are, that, that are sinful and unglorifying. And Lord, they can leave the things that glorify you, that lift you up, that lift up your name. Lord, I pray that as we come into your word this morning, that, that you would give us such a picture of what's going on in Daniel's life, that we too might be encouraged to live faithfully with you, that our hope would be in Jesus Christ alone, that, that we would find comfort in knowing that, that he is that light. He is our lighthouse. He, he is that place that reminds us that, that all is well, that we are close to the shore, that you are in control. So Lord, I pray that as we walk through these passages, you would enlighten our hearts and our minds. Make us receptive to what you want to say to us this morning. May you receive all the honor and glory and praise. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was, I was I kind of tongue-in-cheek gave Dave, uh, Pastor Dave a hard time about the passage that he assigned for today. But the reality is, this is a passage that's very unfamiliar to us in terms of our everyday language. It's kind of an interesting type of, of literature. And so I want to um, start off our time together just giving us a few things to think about in way of background. How do we approach Daniel chapter 7 and other passages in the Bible that are very similar to that? The outline of the whole book, we, we, we kind of, we've taken a look at Daniel, we've taken a look at his life in these first six pages, or first six chapters, sorry, of the book, and, and now we're turning a page to start to look at more of what visions and dreams God has given Daniel for the future, right? There's a, a bit of a turn of the page in terms of more of a historical narrative, and now we're going to get into a different type of, of writing style. The, the, the book of, of Daniel, the first six chapters, are more historical in nature, like I mentioned, similar to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua starts off where, where, where Moses who has come to the end of his life, and he's handing off the, the baton of leadership to Joshua. And then for the rest of the book of Joshua, we cover these historical accounts of how God led Israel through the conquest of Canaan, the land that he promised to them. More historical in nature. If you were to open the book, you, it would seem more obvious to you. Daniel now turns a page into what's called apocalyptic writing now. It records certain key aspects of Daniel's life in the past, but also now looks to the future as to what God has promised. When I, when I mention the word apocalyptic, I wonder if people kind of picture science fiction, right? This idea of, of what maybe we've seen in the movies as of late. There's, there's actually been a long history of, of this genre in, in films. There, I actually did a quick search, and I actually found there were apocalyptic movies that were made way back even in 1916. Listen to some of the titles. There's The End of the World, The Day the Earth Stood Still, The Last Man on Earth, The Thief in the Night, Terminator, Terminator 2, <laughs> End of Days, Terminator 3, <laughs> Edge of Tomorrow, Terminator Salvation, the list goes on and on, right? There's all these movies that have been made that try to depict what the end of the world will look like, almost like there's a recognition that, that this is not what this world was, was created for and that it seemed to be going in a direction opposite of what it's been created for. And so at some point, there's this idea that all of history will culminate at a certain point. And, and what I want to encourage us this morning to realize is that that there is this cultural influence as we think about the end of the world. And so my encouragement to us as we approach this type of writing in Daniel 
is to, to work hard to not depict what the end looks like from the world's standpoint, but what the, end, what the end and the changes and eternity looks like from God's standpoint. So in order for us to rightly understand the, the dream that, that Daniel has, I think it would be important for us to acknowledge four pieces of, of just helpful things to consider when we, when we read through apocalyptic literature. Because, by the way, as much as it's fun for us to spend time together on Sunday morning, more than fun, as meaningful as it is to open God's Word together on Sunday morning, I hope that you're, you're getting a chance to do it yourself throughout the week as well. I hope that you have a chance to open your Bible and, and read it, not just to read it, to check off that you've read it, but really try to understand what has God said through this writer at that point in history, and, and how is it influential in my life right now? How does it inform who I'm becoming? And so you think about that with apocalyptic literature, and, and it can be more challenging. And so consider these four things for, for us as we think about reading um, any sort of apocalyptic writing in the Bible. First of all, what I want us to recognize is that apocalyptic literature is written down. <laughs> I know it's obvious, um, so don't, don't be afraid to call me Captain Obvious this morning. But, but what I'm trying to say is when, when a prophet spoke, if we compare it to prophecy, a, a prophet would come and say, thus saith the Lord. A, a prophet would come and say, hey, listen, I've got a message for you from God. God has told me, he's commanded me to come to you with this message. You think of the story of Jonah, right? Jonah didn't decide to go to Nineveh because he, he wanted to go and talk to the Ninevites. He was afraid to. He was terrified to. But he, he couldn't get away from the fact that God was commanding him to go and, and preach and give this message to the people of Nineveh. So a, a prophet is, so, is one who goes with a specific message to a specific people and reference to God's law. They, they were uh, people that God had called upon to, to mediate his covenant with his people. So in a sense, usually there are places where God's people had, had broken the law of God. They, they've disobeyed. They've broken their covenant with him. They've walked away from God. And so the prophet was sent with a specific message to, to wake them up, but also to remind them that there's consequences from our walking away from God. And so a, a, a prophecy is different from apocalyptic writing. Now, I, again, I, I can't encourage us enough that this matters to us because as we read through the scriptures, we need to understand what's going on here. When we approach Daniel, we need to understand that this is not talking about something from the past that's happened that, that went awry, that, that the people of Israel have now disobeyed God. Certainly that's happened, right? That, that's, that's part of why Daniel's in, well, that is why Daniel's in exile right now. But what's happening here, the dream that God gives Daniel is one of focusing on the future. Listen to what Daniel says in chapter 7, verse 1. It says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Now, the fact that Daniel wrote down his dream should signal to us as the readers that Daniel's not writing about the past but about the future. I know he goes on in the chapter to, de to, to declare the, the dream to his listeners, to readers, but, but right away we know that Daniel isn't referencing past laws, but he's referencing God's future. The second thing, uh, we're going to try to move somewhat quickly through these options, or these uh, ideas. The second thing I want us to be aware of is that when we read apocalyptic writing in the Bible, it sometimes holds dual meaning. 
Specifically here in Daniel, I believe it does hold dual meaning. Not always, but I think it does here. And I think that's true for apocalyptic writing. Uh, You know, if you think about it, tomorrow we're going to see a solar eclipse. Tomorrow there's going to be a point where the moon passes perfectly in front of the sun, right? And it's actually going to appear like they're right on top of each other. It's almost, when you look at it, it's almost going to seem like they're right in front of each other. But if you look at it from a different angle, you'll realize that there's miles apart from them. That there's two separate things going on here. There's a sun moving, into, or there's a moon moving into position in front of the sun's movement as well. In fact, the sun and the moon are, what I'm, from what I was able to find out, 147 million kilometers apart to 152 million kilometers apart, depending on where they pass in their ellipsis around the, the earth. See, in, in apocalyptic literature, this dual meaning is very similar. It has a, a, a near fulfillment and a distant fulfillment, a, a, a primary fulfillment and, and a secondary fulfillment. Not, not necessarily secondary in significance, just in order of fulfillment. So when Daniel has his dream, there's something that's going to come true. This future will unfold. But you know what? There's a second meaning to it that will also come true. And that's what we need to be aware of as, as we start taking a look at the book of Daniel. See, where we stand in history, that, that primary fulfillment of Daniel has already occurred. But there's a secondary fulfillment that, we are, that we're aware of, that we need to be mindful of, that we're anticipating. For Daniel, it was all in front of him. It was all future fulfillment. This is a promise for the future that, that was all true for him, and certainly part of which he lived through. So there's dual meaning in apocalyptic writing. Certainly, not always, but certainly here in, in Daniel 7. The third thing we should be aware of when trying to understand apocalyptic writing is that, that these types of literature seldom give chronological accounts. They, they seldom give detailed, step-by-step accounts of what's to come. Now, there's plenty of people, that, that good Christians, who desire to, to define when is that step going to occur, what will, that, what will happen when that step occurs, and, and something could be said for how that's a healthy exercise. But that's not how necessarily apocalyptic writing was intended to be written or to be understood. Uh, think about this. We, um, we have a tradition in our family, good or bad, that on birthdays, what we'll do as a family, we'll gather around the table, we'll try to give account for the day of that person's birth. So we may sit down and say, yeah, in the morning, mommy wasn't feeling very good, so we called the doctor. The doctor said, well, you know, why don't you rest for a little bit and give us a call back later on. So mommy rested for a little bit, and then later on the day, we, we gave the call to the doctor and said, you know, why don't you come in? And then, you know, the doctors get us settled. They, you know, Give us the epidural or give mommy the epidural. They should give, they should give something to daddies too, by the way. But um, They gave mommy the epidural, and then shortly after midnight, we're holding this beautiful baby boy or baby girl, right? It's a kind of a cool moment for us to remember the, the, the day itself, but, but, had a, but, but, but without necessarily identifying the details. We try to avoid going into too much detail with that. So it is with apocalyptic material. It describes mile markers, these, these important moments that, that will happen in the course of history as it unfolds, but without going so specifically into detail that, that we can actually mark the date on the calendar when certain things will happen. I, uh, I kind of like thinking of it as putting together furniture from Ikea. If you've ever put together, <laughs> yeah, apparently some of us have put together furniture from Ikea, it, you, you're given this instruction booklet, right, that has pictures of each step. A- and, they don't, and then as you progress through the booklet, you finally get to the end where you have this complete picture of what that piece of furniture looks like, right? But, but they don't necessarily tell you how long that step will take. 
It looks simple on the pages of the instructions, but when you actually start to move through it and you start sweating and, and wondering, am I going to finish this before uh, the kids get back or whatever, you, you realize that they're not giving you a detailed chronological account of how to build that piece of furniture. Rather, they're giving you the important instructions to be aware of as you, as you put this beautiful piece of furniture together. So we're not necessarily given detailed chronological accounts of the future plan, right? But the, the, the last thing I want us to notice about apocalyptic writing is this. I want us to remember that the whole point of the vision is what we're meant to come away with. That, that we're not meant to get caught up in individual pieces of the dream, but that there is an overwhelming, overarching point to this dream that God intends for his people to, to, to hold on to, to cling to to walk away with. In other words, we, we should come away from the apocalyptic passages with the final picture of what that piece of furniture looks like from Ikea rather than getting caught up in what uh, debating step 14C subset 3B of the instructions. See, Daniel 7 and really apocalyptic writing in general, it's, it's filled with cryptic language, hidden meanings, symbols, and, and imagery that, that seems to belong to fantasy, even though it doesn't. It's not fantasy. This is, this is a, a dream about the future that will happen. But if we get hung up trying to interpret and, and allegorize every piece of the vision with meaning, we're going to miss the forest for the trees. In other words, we're going to be so focused on the details that we'll miss out uh, on the main point, the truth that God wants his people to hold on to. So I'm gonna, we're going to have some fun. I'm going to read the vision that Daniel has in, in chapter 7 for us. And as I do, I'd encourage you to follow along. But listen to what the, the picture, the vision that Daniel has as he lays in his bed. We're going to pick up in verse 2 of Daniel chapter 7. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh." After this, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces, and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him. A thousand thousand served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. <laughs> There's a lot going on there. 
There, there's, a, there's a lot of details that, that Daniel has to that dream and that vision. The details aren't bad for us to understand. And, and if we had more time, it might actually be fun and, and helpful to, to see their connections, the, the meaning behind the, the, the imagery that's painted. But for this morning, if we get hung up debating the significance of, of the three ribs and the beast's mouth or, or why a leopard has wings on its back, then, then we may miss the forest for the trees. I want us to get the, that main point of the, the vision, the dream, before we do anything else. A good Bible commentary written by a solid biblical scholar can quickly help you see that the picture drawn for Daniel is of four earthly kingdoms. And these kingdoms, they represent increasing evil in this world. Each kingdom worse than the previous kingdom. But what's more, that, that, that's brought to a definitive end. When, when God brings his judgment upon the evil of the world and sets up his forever indestructible kingdom over which he'll rule. Right? I mean, we can, we, can, we can glean these things from the right resources, the, the best tools that we have as we look at difficult passages in Scripture like this. Can I encourage you to do that as well? Don't, don't wait for myself or Pastor Dave to, to help you make sense of this, although we're always willing and, and able to, to walk alongside you as you explore it. But there are resources out there that you can pick up that will be very helpful for understanding a passage like this. What I want us to understand is that, that that the key to understanding Daniel 7, it's not getting so focused on these, the, the, the details that we lose sight of the overall meaning that God is sovereign, that he's going to bring a, a, a definitive end to the evil that's going on in this world. But that's not the end because he'll also usher in the final, the final kingdom, his kingdom, which he has already declared that Jesus will rule and reign over with his people. Just as a way of side note, most scholars, as I looked at this passage, they believe that these four beasts are, 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 are kingdoms that, that operate between the exile where Daniel was alive for and when Jesus returns. The first beast in the dream is Babylon, followed by the Medes and the Persians. Again, Daniel has this dream while he's still in exile under the Babylonians, remember? followed by the Medes and the Persians, and eventually the Greeks, and, and then finally the Romans, who, by the way, are in control and in power when Jesus is born and when he had his time of ministry here on this earth. But I want us to remember that, that Daniel's vision was given to him at a time when he was still in exile, right? We mentioned he was still in exile under the, the rule of the, the Babylonians. So, so we need to ask the question, what was the meaning that God had in giving this dream to Daniel in particular? Because the dream was given to a particular person at a particular point in history with particular circumstances going on, right? And, and so for Daniel, as he has this dream, which if you were to read later on in the chapter, he turns to uh, what we understand to be maybe an angel to, 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 um, to get insight and interpretation to his dream. But for Daniel, the meaning for him was not to necessarily determine which world powers would be next up in their order of rule and reign, but for Daniel to know that, that the exile he was experiencing, the increasing evil that he noticed in the world around him, that was not the end. That, that God had a definitive end for this world. And it, it ends in his judgment and establishing his kingdom forever. That's the meaning for Daniel. That's the gift for Daniel. It's kind of like how my wife likes to watch movies. If we're watching a movie that gets particularly intense or she's uncertain and she's getting anxious and she's not really enjoying the movie anymore... She, she makes me pause, or maybe she'll just do it while we're watching the movie. She'll pull out her phone, and she'll Google the ending, right? 
I get it. There's some of us here who are like, well, you can't do that. You can't ruin the movie. But I'll tell you what. She has a lot more fun watching that movie when she knows how the movie's going to turn out. That's true for Daniel. For Daniel, he's living in exile. He's living, he's living this movie out, and he's uncertain where it's going to go. He's not sure how it's going to unfold. So for God to give him this dream that, that wraps up the, the future for him, that kind of says, hey, no matter what happens in the near present, when you look to the end, I will still be in control. I will establish my kingdom. I will have my people under my rule and my reign living in my kingdom forever. Understanding apocalyptic writing and how it was used helps us to understand what it means for us today. It helps us understand what God has for us and where he's inviting us to grow and become more like his son, Jesus. It's not a judgment on our past, but a vivid picture of the future so that we too might live with hope and live faithfully with God and trust him to be in control of the details between now and when Jesus returns. And so with that in mind, I want us to take the remaining time we have together and keep this background in mind as we look at verses 13 and 14 of Daniel together. I want us to, to pick up in verses 13 and, and 14 and, and see how Daniel's dream comes to a close. As we've already considered and talked about a little bit, his dream depicts God's eternal kingdom, his, his reign over everything, after, of course, he's brought a definitive end to the evil that we have seen and, and continue to see in this world. See, it's a fitting way for us to wrap up our time together in Daniel because I, I think all too often we get lost in, and can't see the forest for the trees. We lose our sense of hope and our confidence in, in God's control over our world and we focus our attention on the evil and the violence rather than on the hope that God has for us. And so as we look at Daniel's life, as we consider his dream, as we as we. As he describes for us this big idea, I hope and I believe that we can picture, we can, we can take hold of what this dream is really saying, and we can lift our heads above the, above the muck and the mire and actually see what's happening. Because what's happening is God's kingdom arriving. God's kingdom will come. When we pray in the, uh, the Lord's Prayer found in Matthew 6, we pray this. We say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, we're not, we're not praying empty words here. We're, we're praying that God's kingdom would come and shape this world even as we wait for Jesus' return and wait for him to usher in the final pieces of his kingdom. There, there are things going on in this world all around us that can give us anxiety, that could concern us, that could paralyze us with fear. But we also have the opportunity to lift our heads above the things that concern us so much. To take hold of that vision that God gave Daniel and to have the confidence that he has a future for us. And because of that confidence, we can actually be a positive influence in the circumstances of the world around us. We can actually be that voice that invites God's kingdom to influence the realities of the world around us. So instead of losing hope by fixing our eyes on the state of our world, let's impact our world by keeping our eyes and our hope fixed on Jesus. Take a look at Daniel 13 with me. Let's consider where our hope needs to be together. Daniel 7, chapter 7, verse 13 says this. I saw in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. 
Now, in this verse, we're, we're given a depiction of a ruler coming down out of the heavens, out of the sky, known as the Son of Man. This, this Son of Man is the one who God, the, the Ancient of Days, gives authority to, gives dominion to his, uh, over his kingdom. Now, oftentimes, this title has the sense of, of referring to a, a human, a person, a man. Uh, Dan, I'm a, I'm a son of a man, so that makes sense, right? I mean, it's logical. But it also has a secondary meaning, not necessarily an, uh, an, not necessarily, uh, an, an order of meaning, but at the same time, that it, it refers to a, a, a title of divinity, a, a deity, a god. And Jesus spent his earthly ministry in spending time with his followers, speaking to the masses, caring for people, proclaiming that he was the Son of God. He was God in human flesh. So it makes sense then that if we actually look at the, the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, we would see that as Jesus spoke about himself, he most frequently used this title of himself. In fact, in Matthew, he refers to himself as the Son of Man 30 times. Overall, in the, in the midst of the four Gospels, he refers to himself as the Son of Man 80 times. There's reason for that. There's, there's significant. Jesus identifies himself with this Son of Man back in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. So much so that, that actually when he, was, when he was imprisoned and they put him on trial and he stood before his accusers, Jesus did not shy away from referring uh, uh, to himself as the Son of Man. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 26, verses 63 and 64, when he's standing before the, the, the high priest. The high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son, uh, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, I get it. It may not sound like it here, but in reality, Jesus is telling him, I'm not just the Son of God. I'm the Son of Man. Now, the high priest, in response, he cries blasphemy. This was the final straw for Jesus' opponents. This is the moment where they say, that's it. He's guilty. Crucify him. The, the high priest is struck by the fact that this mere human being claims himself to be God. In talking about the coming kingdom of God, Jesus frequently identifies himself as this, this son of man that Daniel saw way back in Babylon around 552 B.C. in a dream. So I want to encourage us to consider is that in Jesus' first advent, when he first came to this earth, when he was born in a manger, when he lived on this earth, when he served his ministry that was the first fulfillment of Daniel's dream in chapter 7. Here's the Son of Man come to be with his people. Think about it. The reign of Rome and, and the kingdoms of men had come to an end when Jesus victoriously rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. You know that the triumphal entry, the, the, the moment we celebrate around Easter when Jesus rides on the back of a donkey into Jerusalem. That symbol there of a, of a king riding on the back of a donkey is, is actually the symbol of a victorious king over a people. Jesus rode in victoriously as king. If that's not enough for us, think about the words he shares on the cross. His last few words, it is finished. The power of earthly kingdoms has been destroyed. Well, he doesn't say the power of earthly kingdoms. He says it is finished. My interpretation is he's declaring that the power of the earthly kingdoms has been destroyed. Their reign had ended and the kingdom of God has been inaugurated. It's begun. We have that near fulfillment now. We're waiting for that far fulfillment. 
And there is a far fulfillment of Daniel's dream, a fulfillment that we wait for, a moment when we will see the Son of Man returning on the clouds of heaven and with it the completion of the arrival of the kingdom. What I want to encourage us to consider this morning is that that promise is still before us. John certainly speaks about it in the book of Revelation. He's able to depict uh, the, the future. He's given uh, visions like, like Daniel here. And in fact, the book of Revelation is another apocalyptic writing. But, but I think we can see a more direct promise of this far fulfillment of Jesus in the first chapter of Acts. See, after Jesus speaks his final words to his disciples and as he ascends into heaven, we, we see this. Listen to how the scene's depicted in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood beside them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is the Son of Man. And we're, we've been given a promise that he's going to return to reign over his eternal kingdom. He will return on the clouds of heaven. And when that day comes, we are going to be ushered into that kingdom with him. Jesus is the one who, who, who will reign and rule over this kingdom. It's Jesus, the one who, who lovingly and sacrificially purchased our lives, paying the price with his own life. The very same Jesus who promised his followers in John 14, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Not only will Jesus come bring his kingdom and rule over that kingdom, but he's going to invite his followers, those who have put their trust in the, in, in the death that he died for us, he'll, he'll usher those followers into the kingdom with him. And so as Daniel envisions and as Jesus claims, this son of man will be given power and authority over this final kingdom. Listen to Daniel chapter 7 verse 14. He says this, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting, which shall not pass away, and, the king, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. See, the kingdom that Jesus will usher in is far different than the kingdoms of man. The kingdom over which Jesus reigns is eternal and cannot be destroyed. It's, it's the final kingdom. In, in a comparison to our, a world that sees violence and oppression and, and, and fighting between one nation and trying to exert power over another nation, Jesus will unite his people of every language, every nation, and they will come together under his ruling. On the day when Jesus ushers in the finality of his kingdom, as described for us in Daniel chapter 7, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. See, this is the dream that, that captured Daniel's life. This is the, the dream that was so captivating for him, it gave him courage and strength as he lived his life in exile. And the promise of God's future was so powerful to him that he, could, that he was able to maintain his identity as a child of God throughout the many years that he lived in exile. Like, can we say that, that that's characteristic of our lives? Could, could we begin to look at Daniel's life and, and consider how he lived his life with that confidence of that dream that God gave him 
Could we say that that's true of us? Like, like Daniel, do we have such a vivid picture of God's future that we can live each day continually serving and worshiping God over and against the powers of this world? So the vision that Daniel had, it captivated him. It, it, it held him in, in accountability to this future that God had for him. It helped him to live faithfully with God each and every day. It did so, so much so that, that, that the end of Daniel's time in exile could be described in this way. Listen to at the end of chapter 6 how Daniel is described. In verse 28 it says, So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Now I think Dan, God has us read that verse because God wants us to understand that, that Daniel prospered not necessarily in man's eyes, but in God's eyes. Wouldn't that be amazing if that could be said of us? The very God who created us, the one who loves us, the one who sent his son to die for us, the the one who forgave us our sins, when we stand before our Savior, might say to us these same things. Listen to the story recorded for us in Matthew 25. I'm not going to read it for us. I'll try to, to skim over some of the details, but it's a story that Jesus tells of this landowner. And the landowner goes on this journey, and before he does, he leaves his money with his servants. And, and he, he has three servants that he leaves his money with. The first one kind of lives in fear, not necessarily by faith, but in fear. And so he takes the money that, that the landowner gives him, and he, he buries it. He's afraid of losing the money. He's afraid of upsetting his master. Now, the other two servants, they were told that they take that money, and, and they faithfully steward it. They, they faithfully invest it, so much so that when the, the, the master returns, they've made money for him. And what I want us to understand is that, that when the landowner returned and came face to face with his servant who lived in fear, not by faith, he was, he was discouraged, he was disappointed. But when, when he came to those two servants who, who, who faithfully stewarded the gift that God had given them, <laughs> Sorry, the gift that their master had given them. I just gave away the end of the story. <laughs> the master said this to them. Listen, Matthew 25, he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. Now, I know I just said it, but this is what God wants to say to us. If we were to live faithfully with him rather than living in fear, if we have such a captivated vision of the future as Daniel had that enables us to live in faith each day with God and not in fear, then we too can stand before Jesus at the end of time and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. See, you and I, we've been entrusted with much. We've been entrusted with gifts, with resources, with skills, We've been given God's love, which flows through us out into the people around us. We've been given much, and you know what? We're also given a choice. Will we live in fear, or will we, will we live faithfully with God, continually serving him like Daniel did? So today, I want to encourage us that we would be so captivated by the future that God has for us that we too would live in faith as Daniel did. 
Now, I, I realize I didn't draw what that future looks too vividly for us today. I think the scriptures do a pretty good job. But I want to encourage us to, to chew on a particular passage. I want to, I want to encourage you to, to maybe take a look at Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. I encourage you to memorize these words. Meditate on them day and night. Write them on a 3 by 5 card. Carry it with you. Become so uh, captured by this image that you can't help but live in the hope of the future that God has for you. Listen to what John articulates in the, the, in the uh, book of Revelation, chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. This is God's promise for your future and for mine, for any of us who are in Christ Jesus, who have put our faith in him and said, I cannot live this life in my own strength, in my own goodness. It'll never be enough. I'm going to receive the righteousness of Christ as he died on the cross for my sins. And because of that, I have a hope. I have a future. I can live faithfully with him each and every day. When we place ourselves under his eternal reign and his dominion, we receive this promise of a future. Heaven is so much greater than this. And I, I, I know I'm not even doing it justice by, by just reading these few verses, but man, what a vision John depicts of our eternity with him. May we too be captivated by God's promise. May, may we live faithfully in the hope and the security of what lies ahead, even as we walk through the uncertain terrain of exile. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you, Lord, that, that you haven't just promised us a future but you've given us a picture of what that future is. Father, we thank you that, that you have given us that picture of the future, that we might live in hope, that, that we might live trusting you, that, that we might not be so concerned to guard and protect our own future, but trust you to be in control of our future, that you know what's very best. I pray that we would see in the life of Daniel this vision that he has, that, that you offer us the hope that, that evil will not reign forever, that you will bring it to a definitive end. And when you do, you will invite us into an eternity with you, a place that will be beautiful, glorious. Father, I pray that we would have such a depiction of your future for us, that we would strive each and every day to see your kingdom come here on this earth, to see your will be done, that we would infuse conversations around race and violence with grace and compassion and understanding, that, that we would, as we think about the, the tragedies that are going on around the world around us, that we would not just infuse conversations with your grace and your good news, but we would in, in, infuse those situations with our gifts and our abilities and our talents and our skills 
that we might be the vehicle through which you bring your good news to those dark places in this world. And Lord, I pray that we would have the strength and the courage to do that just because of the promises you have made for us, a promise of a future, a promise where you will never leave us nor abandon us. Lord, we thank you that we can wait on that promise to be fulfilled. Fill our hearts with joy and excitement as we wait patiently on you, Lord. We thank you for this time together in your word, and we pray that you would be blessed, that we would also be a blessing to others, Lord. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.